Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 79 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom. And Vera Grubbs, along with the rest of the crew. This month, our musical guest is John Whitcomb, and we'll be hearing some music from his new CD, Arabelle. Jim Eagleman shares the latest nature news. We'll listen to an interview with the new director of the Career Resource Center, Christine Reitzman. And Dave Seastrom will share a story from the Frank Hohenberger Journals. In honor of October, we have a few ghost stories from John Whitcomb and our very own Chuck Wills. Lanny Hartman shares his This Old Guitar story, and we have a conversation with the president of the Arts Commission, Nancy Crocker. We'll begin the show with our John Whitcomb interview. Jim Eagleman shares another nature news on leaf shapes. We'll hear John Whitcomb's ghost story, Knocking, and we'll listen to his tune, Zombie Girl. this evening, and we have the great pleasure of having a repeat visit from our good friend John Whitcomb. Howdy. Hey, John. Thank <laughs> you, Rick. Good hey, to, good hey, to hey, have hey. you back, and he's got a new CD out, and we're going to be talking about that. Did you write all the songs? I or wrote all covers? the songs. It's all original material. 11 songs in there. It is uh, recorded over in Bloomington at Midwest Audio with Richmore Pergo, uh-huh. and Rich did an excellent job. He and, is pretty uh, good. Yeah. And the best thing about Rich is not only does he know what he's doing, he uh, knows all kinds of great musicians. <laughs> right. And so this, I have to call it a star-studded cast because it really was. So you have a plethora of yeah. artists. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful <laughs> to, to work with them. And it, was, it, it went a little long uh, during the process. His mother passed away. Oh. My dad passed away. It was just kind of... So this has been in the works for a while. Now. Yeah, it's been always oh, it about three years. And wow. so it was uh, kind of being in labor for three years, Man. you know, just wanted it to be done, you know. But the hindsight <laughs> was that in these long periods, these lapses, I was, we were able to go back and go, oh, we need to do this. Because we would, you know, we just put it away for a while. So you had a chance to review yeah. as you went. 
Yes, had uh, time to review and, and go back and change some things that can only happen after you've put something away for a while. Mm-hmm. A lot of photographers will say they'll take a roll of film and then put it away for a week or so and not look at it. You know, or of course these days it's all digital, but right. I don't know how you do that. But it's a process where it, it allowed you some space and some, some time to think things through. So, so what are these okay. songs about? The running theme in this thing seems to be taking it easy. Okay. Yeah, Fi- slowing down and yeah. just uh, just that's, relaxing a little bit. That that sounds exactly right for where the world is right now. Yeah, <laughs> it it was good, and it kind of happened. Well, I don't know. It was kind of self-revelatory, <laughs> I suppose. It wasn't intended to do that, but I thought, gee, these little songs are all about taking it easy. Uh-huh. I am a painter during the day, so when I'm scraping a house. I have a lot of time to think. Yeah, yeah. I, I spent a fair amount of time slapping the brush myself. Yeah, yep. that does. I mean, it, there's like that 98% yeah. of your brain that's not being occupied. Yeah. Exactly. Once you got the technique down, the brain can so keep yeah. a notepad nearby. and uh, As we do it now with our phone. Just exactly. I got my phone's got all kinds of 10, 20 second snippets with. But that's why I always have WFHB on in the background while I'm working, because I'm afraid if I spend too much time by myself alone, we don't know what's going to happen. So. That's, that's, that's a risk. safety factor. Well, it's hard when you work by yourself to stay yeah. motivated and keep it going. Yeah. What kind of instrumentation do you have? You talk about all these. Well, artists, I'll or... talk about the the players on there. I have the wonderful Dane Clark mm-hmm. on the drum kit. Sure. And a couple of percussion uh, instruments on a couple other tunes. Carolyn Dutton on violin, mm. well, no Carolyn, and she did a masterful job as, as usual. Yeah. And a treat was Jason Ritchie, the harmonica virtuoso on three of the songs. Wow. Which was great, which I wasn't even there when that happened. But <laughs> yeah, I said, trust, weird. Rich, I trust you. And yeah, he goes, right. I know what you want. So, and yeah, it was Nice surprise when beautiful. you came back in. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. And um, let's see who else do we have. Oh, Slats Klug, another familiar name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, played the great piano, perfect piano parts for the songs. They were they were very good. Uh, a fellow named Tom Clark did the horn arrangements. I have uh, horn arrangements on three of the songs. It turned out really nice. I played guitar and bass guitar on it, and there's some shouting and hollering and some things like that. <laughs> but uh, other than that, it came Ho- out very hooping nice. Hooping and hollering. Yeah, hooping, hooping and hollering. Artwork. Yeah. Artwork. This is a self-portrait, actually, I did. And you can tell it's a few years ago. Right. Hair Why was not? The, hair was a little darker. <laughs> That's going around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So give us a quick version of what all you've done musically. Weren't you involved with the church, the musical director? Mm, and still then am. Been and played in bands for yeah, you know, oh since gosh. you were like 18 or something. Yeah, got we, a, of course, having four older sisters, I had all kinds of different kinds of music come into the house. So, you know, I remember, I remember like yesterday, I was, you know, I was all three, but when mm-hmm. Meet the Beatles. Yeah. Right. Dun, 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 I can remember it like yesterday, standing there on the second floor. <laughs> did you, watch, the did you watch them on Ed Sullivan? Yeah. Uh, you know, I probably did, but I don't remember. But yeah. I actually saw them. I mean, I went with them when they were at the State Fair. Okay. Oh, wow. Do I remember it? Not, not so much. Right. But I do remember... The, the vinyl, the needle hitting the vinyl and going, oh, yeah. kind of cool. even at three, you know, yeah. yeah. Obviously, they were a bit of an influence with, for most of us, too. But for sure. Do you have any other faves that you've been paying attention to over the years? 
Well, I still like, and I don't play much of it, but I still love progressive guitar. Uh, Jeff Beck, mm -hmm. one in particular, I went to see him last Friday. He's phenomenal, as usual. My Vishnu Orchestra. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. um, you know, um, Stanley Clark. That jazz fusion stuff really got my attention as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So, but, um, and I messed around with it just enough to get some of it in my sound. I'm not going to say I'm ended up being accomplished at it by any stretch, <laughs> but definitely appreciate it. And of course, yeah. a little bit of everything, and it's good old three chord rock and roll. Yeah. You know, yeah. So three chords and the truth. Three chords and the truth. You right. know it. Well, that's good. So, are you going to have a big CD release party for this? Kind of had one already down uh, in Seymour. Okay. It was a very miniature one, a not a full blown one. Yeah, it's a hometown. Uh, a corporate band, cover band I play in, Jane Bond and the Pink Martinis, uh, we did a, kicked off the summer concert series in Seymour. It was to be downtown on the street. They call it Main Street Music Festival, but it was looked like rain. So they moved it into the, the Eagles, good old FOE Eagles right there in, in Seymour, which was great. The place was packed. It was, yeah. it was wonderful. It was a, a good party. Well, then after we finished our cover band set, the band had learned three tunes off my album, which they graciously agreed to play. Oh, nice. And uh, they read them down, and it sounded like we'd rehearsed for two weeks. <laughs> it, was, it was great. I was very happy with it. Yeah. So are you going to do something here in Brown County? You're going to do something here in Brown County. It's uh, taken a while, still putting players together. and. So so we should be looking for that on your Facebook page or your be website? Be looking for it. Okay. Yeah. Be looking, yeah. Now, uh, do well, you I'll have be... a website? Yeah. I'm on ReverbNation.com okay. right now. It's where you can find me. And this CD will be available the 24th of this month on all the appropriate music sharing channels. This month being August. This month being August, yes. And for any additional information you want regarding the album or where I'm playing, in addition to Reverb Nation, you can find that at jdwhitcombmusicoutlook.com. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks we for coming, you in, coming by. Yeah, thank you. Really excited to hear this new music. It's fall, and our thoughts turn to fall colors. It's Brown County, and that always means large crowds, traffic, and busy times. I always drew a deep breath at the onset of each October when I work for the DNR, knowing park audiences at my programs would be large. But a better opportunity I knew to share my love of nature, a few facts on bird and animal life, and of course the beauty of those fantastic park vistas. We also stopped on hikes and interpretive walks to look at leaves. The leaf is a food-producing organ. I'd start out knowing the more I sounded like a college professor, the more I'd likely lose my audience. We were interpreters, not academics, a supervisor once told us. We were to relate the complicated and sometimes scientifically advanced topic in easy-to-understand terms. That was our job. So how to relate a tree in fall, the job of leaves, now nearly done, how it prepares for winter, and that sort of thing. The challenge became real when I knew my hikers were interested. Their level of knowledge didn't matter. If I used similes, examples, and comparisons to explain a leaf, I'd maybe get some points across. A leaf is a factory. It can produce a product, food, by taking in raw materials. The leaf absorbs some of the energy and sunlight that strikes its surface. 
It also takes in carbon dioxide from the surrounding air. This allows the metabolic process to run. It's called photosynthesis. The topic soon produced a few questions, some not always germane. It didn't matter if the question wasn't pertinent. I always encourage these inquiries, saying we all learn from questions. So we'd cover leaf shapes, the most commonly asked question, also leaf arrangement on the twig, why the difference between compound and simple leaves, that sort of thing. A leaf's shape is affected by the job it has to perform. Simple leaves have a single, broad surface. Compound leaves have many leaflets along a main stem. Both have to capture sunlight, and as they do this, they may absorb a great deal of heat. The leaf, either simple or compound, also has to take in carbon dioxide from the surrounding air and from us as we exhale CO2 through pores on the undersides of leaves called stomata. When these pores are open to allow the uptake of CO2, water inside the leaf at the same time is lost to the atmosphere. This typically happens at night, and we see the result every morning in the form of dew on the grass or water droplets on the car windshield. The leaf, whether simple or compound, is affected by these balancing acts. Enough sunlight and CO2 to run photosynthesis, but not too much heat absorbed or water loss. The shape of a tree's leaf is in response to a long history of environmental and evolutionary change. The environment may have favored a long, broad leaf shape if it always grew in a dark, shaded place. A compound leaf, with many leaflets, if it grew in bright, sunlit areas. An ecosystem's influence, now we call them limiting factors, modified and gradually changed a leaf's shape. Today's trees are a result of these changes over time, some not always conforming to logic. Walnuts, with compound leaves of many leaflets, tend to grow in bottomlands, where sunlight is marginal. So it has many leaflets to capture sunlight. Oaks with broad, simple leaf surfaces tend to grow on ridgetops, where heat may be a factor. Its surface can dispense heat with air movements throughout the day. Leaf with long pointed tips, called drip tips, may help shed water during frequent rains. Some leaf shapes can capture water if the tree grows in a dry environment. Leaf shape is a function of the selective pressures placed on it by the ever-changing environment. Ever mindful I was getting too deep into my explanations, I always checked to see if eyes were rolling or if their mumbling had started. I wasn't a college lecturer, and my hikers of all ages weren't there to listen to me drone on. Props of branches that I brought, leaves of all shapes and sizes, and sometimes even plastic tubing helped me get some points across. At the end of each busy fall day, with even more visitors guaranteed the next, I was reminded by a quote by folk humorist Will Rogers, The more you explain it, the less I understand it. Jim Eagleman for another segment of Nature Ramblings for the Brown County Hour. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm John, and this is my ghost story. Uh, in the desert of Southern California is a place called Borrego Springs. It's part of the Anza Borrego Desert State Park. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with the desert, but there's all kinds of crazy, eerie things that can go on there. And my experience was, while staying in a trailer near a friend of mine's home, I began hearing a sound at night, and it was the sound. Sometimes it'd be really loud, sometimes it'd be really quiet, sometimes it'd be outside of the trailer, sometimes it'd be under my pillow, but it was always the same cadence. Well, one night I wasn't feeling very well, 
and I sat up, and it woke me up, and I sat up, and I said, okay, whoever you are, whatever you are, I acknowledge your presence. It's time for you to go. And with that, it was gone. Fast forward uh, to about two years ago, 2016 or so, I see an interview with two gentlemen who were archaeologists for a gas pipeline company in the deserts of New Mexico. They relate a story about staying out in the in the hinterlands of the desert and waking up to a sound in the evenings sounded very familiar to me and they said with that one evening it was incredibly loud and they looked outside and the rusted out GMC pickup truck with no wheels and a broken windshield's headlights were on and at that point they decided it was time to go and they packed up their things threw it in the truck and they drove as far as they could so having a ghost story is one thing. Having somebody else have the other ghost story was pretty cool. That's my ghost story. Here's a girl in town. She's causing quite a fuzz. It's easy to see she ain't one of us. Since a chick made me smile She's a bit slimy But I'm digging her style Or maybe I'm a fool But I love my little freak She's my number one cool Yeah, she's a zombie girl Yeah, a zombie girl Oh, she's a zombie girl And she's rocking my world She milked my soul with her vacuous stare She gave me her hand and I could Now we pause for station identification. 
You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Segment two begins with our conversation with the new director of the Career Resource Center, Christine Reitzman. Lanny Hartman shares his This Old Guitar Story, and we'll hear Chuck Will's ghost story, Video Boy. And we'll close with John Whitcomb's song, Judy in the Morning. It's my pleasure to introduce Christy Reitzman, who is the head of the CRC, which is the Career Resource Center in Nashville. She's just taken over from Dave Bartlett, who held the position for many years. And she's a 17-year veteran of uh, Brown County School System. So, uh, Christy, why don't you start off by sharing a little of your history and background in the Brown County Schools? Sure, I would love to, but I think I need to back up a little bit and just say that I'm a Brown County girl almost from the start. I attended Van Buren Elementary School as a child and grew up on 135 South. So um, when uh, life took me outside of Brown County, I I wasn't sure when I would return, but uh, I've been back actually in this district, in Brown County Schools District now for starting my 13th year. So just really happy to be here in the community that supported me and, and where I grew up. Well, as a matter of full disclosure, you were, in fact, principal um, at Van Buren School, which my grandson, Travis, attends. So, you know, just to get that out. (laughs) And we had lots of great times together. Elementary is a lot of fun, so enjoyed every moment. Well, I've always enjoyed the school programs there. and um, I remember you quite fondly as uh, head of the helm, so to speak. So, (laughs) well, let's, uh, yeah, so discuss what you... What your history is here in, in Brown County School System? Sure. So I was uh, hired in 2006 as the assistant principal at Brown County High School. And Matt Stark, um, who has just returned to Brown County as the principal again, hired me. And so very thankful for that start um, at the high school. I spent six years as the assistant principal there before um, getting the opportunity to become the principal at Nashville Elementary School. Uh, I only sat in that position for about a year because that was during the time when we were going through the transition in the corporation uh, where the elementary school known as Nashville became Brown County Intermediate School. So um, some of you may know Lucy McGrail, and when Lucy retired from Van Buren Elementary School, I was uh, allowed to move into her position out at Van Buren Elementary, and I spent four years there as the principal. Um, Last year, I opened up the building and was there for about three weeks and then um, transitioned into a new position that was a grant-funded position. Did that for a a year and um, now have recently transitioned again to the director of the Career Resource Center after Dave retired. Well, what was that grant-funded position? So we are part of Region 8, which is um, Regional Opportunity Initiative uh, was the grant that we received. It was um, a part of a Ready Schools grant, and we were actually the first district to obtain that grant, uh, one of three districts. The other two were uh, Ligoti Schools and Du Bois County as a whole county. It was a $150,000 grant that Brown County Schools secured, and then that allowed them to hire me as the coordinator to oversee um, the process of um, outlining this grant. 
We spent an entire year last year talking with our community, interviewing stakeholders, and trying to find out what people thought about school for their children. How would they define success for their children here in Brown County? And so from that process, we have really designed a new system within Brown County schools that talks that takes our kids from preschool through adult. We truly can say now as a district that we serve students preschool through adult education. So you bring all this background to the CRC, which has been a remarkably successful program. What do you see as the new directions or more of the same, bit of both? Probably a, a bit of both in that, um, yes, there is quite a history here at the Career Resource Center, and our community has supported the Career Resource Center through the, the grant funding that started the Career Resource Center and through two referendums supporting financially the Career Resource Center. So we know that it's an important um, academic entity for this county. As far as the future, what we would like to see is for the Career Resource Center to become our educational hub. And what I mean by that is that that our focus is not just on adult education, but that we would serve preschool through adult ages. Um, Not necessarily having preschoolers at the Career Resource Center, but preparing people to serve in those roles across the county. We, for example, we have three preschools now in our in our schools, and we need to prepare teachers to take on those preschool roles. So uh, I'm really hoping that the Education Center, uh, the Career Resource Center, will turn into this education hub where all ages, all learners can come in and feel like they can find a resource there at, um, at the Career Center. Well, that sounds pretty exciting. What specifically do you do to prepare these teachers? Do you bring them in? Is there workshops? Right. So what we're looking to do is, yes, various workshops, various trainings, offer the Career Resource Center as a place to host trainings for a variety, not just for our teachers, but could be for other community members as well in, the, in, the, uh, in, in Nashville and Brown County. We want to make sure that our high school students know that the Career Resource Center is there for them. And we want them to become familiar with this, with this place as they go through their, um, as they go through their years in Brown County schools. What we found is that there were about 20% of our 2018 graduates who said that they weren't sure what they were going to do once they graduated. 20% of our kids didn't quite know whether they were going to go to college, whether they were going to take a job, uh, whether they were going to go to a two-year college. And so we feel like we can bridge that gap between high school and college or career, the workforce, with the Career Resource Center. And students can become familiar with the personnel that are working there and with the programs that we offer. And it can be that bridge for them to help identify what their plan's going to be beyond high school. Well, this sounds like pretty exciting work. And it sounds like you've got your work cut out. <laughs> I probably do. But it is, it is very exciting. And as I said before, I'm from Brown County. So I, I really have a vested interest in seeing my own children who attend here, live here in the county, as well as all the other students in this county flourish and find those jobs within our region that will give them good paying work and allow them to live here and stay in Brown County if that's what they choose to do. Well, that is an excellent mission. And, you know, all I can say is best of luck to you. Welcome aboard. And thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. This is Lanny Harmon, and I am telling one of my uh, old guitar stories. Like uh, most kids across the United States, I can remember laying on the floor 
uh, when the Beatles first played in 1964, thinking, I've got to get a guitar, I've got to learn how to do that. And shortly thereafter, my grandmother, Isil Harmon, bought a $5 Kingston acoustic guitar off a traveling salesman and let me start taking lessons at the county seat. And after a few years, the gentleman named Homer Noblet that was giving me guitar lessons let my grandmother know that he thought I had outgrown that $5 Kingston starter guitar and told my grandmother I needed a better instrument. And this being the mid-60s, uh, my grandmother purchased from Homer's Past Now Music Store either a 1959 or 1960 Gibson Les Paul Special. It was a double cutaway guitar, and it had a very distinctive paint scheme on it. They called TV yellow or canary yellow, but it was a wonderful uh, Gibson guitar, and we got to see a group of local boys a few years older than us. They put a combo together called the Vibrations, and they were probably five or six years older than we were, but they were heroes to us. I can name them. Frank Norman, Rick Nixon, Ray Maris, and Stan Wittmeyer were in the band. And they called themselves the Vibrations. And they played a dance at our local scout cabin and covered Venture's tunes just like the record. So we formed our own combo. And in this band, we four spoiled little kids. I had a Gibson Les Paul special. And my two friends, Johnny Newton and Dave Leonard, had Gibson SGs. And my friend Brad Howard on drums, but we all had Gibson guitar amps that had Kalamazoo on them because Gibson used to be up in Kalamazoo, Michigan instead of Nashville. So we had a little combo, and then puberty struck, and I wanted to get an acoustic guitar because you couldn't take an electric on dates and woo your girlfriends. You couldn't sit out on the creek bank or by the romantic pond bank and play an electric guitar. So I sold my Gibson for $100, and I went to Terre Haute to the Past Now Music Company, and I bought a $90 Ventura 12-string, and nobody told me that you had to tune it down a couple pitches. So I tuned it up to standard tuning, and about six months later, it exploded in the middle of the night in my bedroom when the bridge came off, and I always missed that Gibson guitar. Fast forward 50 years, I'm at Bean Blossom, and I don't know if it was the Hartford Festival or the, the summer version of the Bill Monroe Festival, but we were having what we call a guitar pull about 2 in the morning. And some ladies next to our campsite heard us playing and invited themselves over, which was fine. They were welcome. And each guy would play a guitar song and then pass the guitar on to somebody else. And one time during a break, I mentioned the fact that I had sold a Gibson Les Paul to a man from Montezuma, Indiana named Jack Market. And one of these ladies from the motorhome next to us came out of her chair and she said, oh my God, I used to date Jack Market's son. I remember when they bought that guitar from you. And I got so excited and she said, you know, I didn't marry his son, but I've stayed friends with him. I've got his phone number. Let me call him. Oh my God, I can't do that, it's two in the morning. And she said, well, are you gonna come back tomorrow? And I said, yeah, I will, you know, if you can find out what happened to my Gibson. And she said, well, I'll call him in the morning. And I said, I'll come back tomorrow. And I came back the next day. And she had told me already that her brother was a session player in Nashville. And I thought, oh, man, he's, he's probably never let go of that. 
and my son and I had planned already to go to Nashville, Tennessee. And I was so excited because I thought I'm going to get to go to Nashville in two weeks and introduce myself to Jack Market's son and see my old boyhood guitar. And I thought about that all night. I went to Bean Blossom uh, to the festival the next night. And I, I knew when she came out of the motorhome, something wasn't right. And I said, what did you find out? And she said, I got a hold of them today. And they didn't have that pretty Gibson more than a month when they had a fire and lost everything. So that was the one that got away from me. I just moved to Brown County uh, in 1992. And before I left, I had a picture of that guitar before I sang in the Park County Talent Show. My mother took a picture of me with that guitar around my neck and I showed it to John Beeson, who has the music shop on South 7th in Terre Haute, Indiana. And he said a lot of Asian collectors came over in the 80s to buy up vintage instruments in America. And at that time, in 1991, before I moved here from Terre Haute, John Beeson told me that the value of that guitar in Japan at that time was $17,000. They only made a couple thousand. Welcome home to the one that got away. <laughs> My name's Tom, and this is my true ghost story. I never paid much mind to it since I moved in a couple years ago, but sometimes my dog would bark at the door to my spare bedroom. He'd growl a little bit, and I figured he was just getting a little old and weird like the rest of us. Sometimes I'd walk into the kitchen, and I'd feel like something was watching me from down the hall. But that's probably from watching too much Creature Feature on Friday nights, right? Well, it all changed, though, when my grandson came to visit. He was a youngster, about two and a half, and he came to stay for a week. I set him up in that guest bedroom, and his mother left one of those video monitors so I could check on him while he was sleeping. He and I were having a great visit, doing all the things that grandpas do with their grandsons, fishing and catching toads and whatnot. And the first night, I tucked him into bed, made sure that the video monitor was on, and settled in for the night. Now, I'll tell you, something made me stir in my sleep at exactly 3 a.m. In fact, I sat bolt upright in bed like I'd grabbed hold of a bare electric wire. And I looked over at that video monitor, and there was the boy up out of bed staring at me directly in the camera. Well, I jumped up, and I went into his room to make sure he was okay. And there he was, tucked in, sound asleep. Now, there, there's no way he could have gotten back in bed in the five seconds it took me to get to his room. Then it started to register with me. The, the boy in the camera was about the right age, but he had light curly hair and light eyes. Now, my grandson, he has dark straight hair and dark eyes. That was not my boy in the camera. Now, I spent the rest of the night up drinking coffee and worrying about what to do. I guess my crazy old dog was right to growl at that door. Needless to say, for the rest of his stay, I told the boy, Bub, you are sleeping in Grandpa's room. And that is my true ghost story. sun, Judy like the stars when day is done, Judy in the meadow, Judy in the tree, Judy in 
Judy, will you dance? Will you dance with me? Judy, will you dance a while with me? Judy in the morning, Judy of the sun, Judy like the stars when day is done, day is done. Pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. The final segment begins with Nancy Crocker's interview. Dave Seastrom shares a Frank Hohenberger story from 1928. We'll listen to The Legend of Cemetery Island. And we'll close with John Whitcomb's song, Lazy. It's my pleasure to introduce Nancy Crocker, who is the president of the Arts Commission here in Brown County. Thank you so much for coming in. So you're here to give us the scoop on all the good things you guys are up to. Well, where should we begin? Well, we can begin with the moving of the dancer sculpture. Um, Several years ago, when they were doing public art in town, one of the Indiana artists donated the dancer sculpture that was in front of the artist colony. And the owners of the property, they were asked for a two-year lease, and after that they said, we'd like you to move it. And finally this year, we found its permanent home. It's at the end of uh, Jefferson at Pat Riley Boulevard. And we love it because the light hits it better down there. And if you stand on a sunny day when the light's hitting it just right, it like reflects onto the road. So uh, I noticed that the, uh, the Beta Teen sculpture has been moved also. The Beta Teen sculpture got moved too, yes. If you remember, Brad Cox is the one that um, – helped the beta kids do that. And so part of my goal as arts commissioner and president this year was the word collaborate and very important word. And so we have been working all of the commissioners to collaborate with other entities and try to pull other entities together. And so one of the things we decided to do was move that sculpture to the junior high property 
so that the kids at the junior high would have some ownership of it nice. and know that the people of the town recognized that they were the ones that made it and that we appreciate it. So Good. we kind of gave it back to them in a way. So hopefully in the future we'll be getting another sculpture where it was. Okay. Too. So what else are you up to? One really exciting thing that my vice president is working on, her name is Michelle Weedle, and she is working with the IU School of Informatics. They are creating an app for our town. So we're going to have an app that people can, when they come into town, they can open their phones and go to that app, and it will take them to public art pieces. It'll take them to um, artwork inside, let's say, the county building and things like that. Um, But it's a way to reach out to younger people that would have done that crazy Pokemon app uh, a while back. And the uh, app's going to just enlighten them as to the public art that's here. So this is going to be the Nashville app? Yes. Let's talk about Pavilion Music Series real quick. We decided this year to condense it. So it's in September and October, and it'll start at 530 and go to 7. It's always on a Saturday night until mid-October. Okay. Um, There'll be music. And it's really just to give a festive feel to the town. Um, We also have Fourth Friday Art Walk, and we got a grant from the Indiana Arts Commission for $5,000, and it's paying for a lot of things for the Fourth Friday Friday Art Walk. Annabelle Hopkins is doing an amazing job, and so make sure you come to the Fourth Friday Art Walk. We're going to be also out at the Epic Mountain Biking event in October, and we're going to have an old bike out there, and we're going to let the bikers make that into a piece of art. Um, So that'll be fun. We have an art show at the Playhouse that is going on right now that is all music-related art. If you didn't notice, then when you go through the intersection at Main and Van Buren, make sure you look up because we have banners now hanging. So from now on, there'll be banners that are hanging there that show the art-related things that are going on in Brown County. Right now, it says Art Colony Weekend and Pavilion Music Series. It'll also eventually have a permanent sign above that that says Arts Village, Brown County on it so that when people drive through, they'll see that we are different. Well, um, is there a website or a Facebook page for your organization? We have a part of the town's website. We'll tell you a little bit of what the Arts Commission is doing now, and it'll tell you when our meetings are. And it also on the town's website is a form that you can go if you're interested in being on the Arts Commission. We'd love to have more people volunteer to be on the Arts Commission. And you don't have to be an artist to be on there. And then on Facebook, you can go to Arts Village Brown County. Uh, That's the Arts Commission Facebook page. Well, that's excellent. Nancy, thank you so much for coming in and sharing this information. For the last several weeks, I've had the privilege to read the journals of Frank Hohenberger. Frank is the famed photographer who chronicled life in Brown County by taking thousands of photos from 1917 until his death in 1963. He also wrote a column for the Indianapolis Star from 1923 to 1954 called Down in the Hills of Brown County. I've been intrigued by his observations of life in Hill Country and the people he encountered. His life in Brown County began when his job as a manager of a camera shop in Indianapolis fell through, and having previously scouted out the area, he took a train to Helmsburg with $25 in his pocket and, in his words, a decent used camera lens. 
He rented a small house in Nashville for $7 a month, and somehow he made a go of it. In 1933, Webb Waldron went to Nashville to meet Frank and wrote an article about him in the American Magazine. I'll share a little piece of it. So Hohenberger began a column called Down in the Hills of Brown County. He told about Josh Bond, coroner and undertaker, who ran a real estate office and a restaurant, a hardware store and a grist mill, and whose sign read, We grind Mondays and Saturdays. We also take care of the dead. And who was heard to remark, Two more funerals and Mabel's going to college. From that same article, Mr. Waldron indicated how difficult it was for Frank to win over the locals by sharing a couple of quotes. Who's that furner? a native asked. He's making a map of the fortifications around here for the Kaiser, confided the hardware dealer. Frank was of German descent and spoke fluent German, so it can be forgiven if he was misunderstood at first. But he was persistent and unassuming, and eventually he overcame the fear from some of the locals that by taking their image, a little piece of them would be left behind when they die, and they wouldn't be able to go to heaven. He made friends with all of the major artists who came to the county at the same time to paint landscapes, and he often speaks of sharing meals and field trips with them. He also made lots of friends with the locals and his writing frequently mentions someone coming to his studio and recommending something for him to photograph. His first big success was the photo of a group of men sitting at the liar's bench that is still selling well to this day. Eventually, he became recognized. He always made a living, but he never accumulated wealth or fame. I hope to share more of this material as I continue to read his journal, but in the meantime, I'm taking notes, and I thought I'd share a few gems. The following are quotes from Holmberger's diary. Yes, Kate is dead. Fever. Piers, though, went harder with her than the rest of us. A friend suggested I attend court because there are several divorce cases coming up and I might be able to pick up a sweetheart. Which is the road to Bean Blossom? Laws, man, we don't have no roads, but I can tell you the direction. Dr. Nolan said, no snap to be a doctor in Brown County. You have to regulate the number of deaths or patients that you kill, as we only have one undertaker. How do we pass the time in Brown County? I'll give you the old woman's answer. I sat and think, and sometimes I just sat. The following story was told at the meeting of the community club August 12, 1928. The meeting was at the home of Ivan McDonald. A young man wished to buy a gift for his sweetheart. After much deliberation, he decided on a pair of gloves as an appropriate gift. While he was selecting them, his sister purchased a pair of bloomers. In delivering the packages, a mistake was made. The gloves were sent to the sister, and the bloomers were delivered to the sweetheart. The young man followed up the gift with a letter which read, Dear Sweetheart, this gift is a little token to remind you that I have remembered your birthday. As you know, you have not been in the habit of wearing any lately when you have been out with me. I thought you needed them. Had it not been for my sister, I would have selected the long ones, but she said they were wearing them short with only one button. They are rather delicate in color, but the sales lady showed me a pair she had worn for three weeks, and they were hardly soiled at all. I wish I could put them on you for the first time. 
I hope you will not fail to think of me every time you wear them. I had a clerk try them on, and they look very nice on her. I did not know the exact size, but I should be able of judging them better than anyone else. When you put them on for the first time, sprinkle a little talcum in them, and they will slip on more easily. When you remove them, blow in them, for naturally they will be a little moist from wearing. So be sure to keep them on when you're cleaning them, otherwise they will shrink. Hoping you will accept them in the same spirit which they were given and will wear them in the dance next Thursday night. I remain your chic. P.S. Note the number of times I will kiss them on the back during the coming year. Frank speaks of seeing an oak stump that was 7 feet 5 inches in diameter and watching locals catch fish in Doughball Hole at Salt Creek. He describes the difficulty of driving to Helmsburg, which in 1917 was a two-and-a-half-hour trip. He speaks of people whose families still live here and shares their births and deaths as the years go by. And all of this is a window into the life of Brown County as it was a hundred years ago. His insight and observations have brought me a little closer to understanding the history of my adopted home and a deeper appreciation for those who came before me. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. My name is Jefferson, and this here's my true ghost story. Some say there's a difference between legend and lore, and I suppose it's going to be up to you to decide. You see, around 1953, the state got the idea to dam up Bean Blossom Creek to make a new water source for Bloomington. It was finished around 1956 and named after a politician by the name of Lemon. Same as many other chapters in Brown County history, certain things have gotten displaced in the name of progress. In this case, homes, animals, a church, and a cemetery. Yes, you heard that right. Holy ground was desecrated by the state in order to make way for their flood. Like the second coming of Noah, I tell you, they claimed that the graves in that churchyard was moved to other cemeteries in the area. But I have a hard time believing it. This is an old county, and it's not unusual to have markers disappear with time and weather, or graves go unmarked altogether. Wooden crosses and caskets fading into the memory of the hills and the hollers. So no, sir, they can't rightly say they moved all them bodies. When the creek was dammed up and the water rose up, it swallowed the low country in a great, slow, groaning yawp. The creek become reservoir, drank in all the land she could as if she were a great blue-green monster. She slurped and supped to carve out Riddle Point. She made the eastern swamplands, and the creeping giant even inched under the Shuffle Creek trestle, daring the mighty locomotives to cross her path. Yes, the mighty waters had power over all, with one exception. In the west end, where the water is the deepest, there's one hilltop that dared not be swallowed up, the very spot where the church and cemetery had been and they call it Cemetery Island. Now, all this happened before my time. This is the lore my granddad handed down. He saw it all, and he told me, never go near Cemetery Island, least not at night. He said it was infested with poisonous snakes, but likely he figured that was the only thing that might keep a young boy off the holy land. And sure enough, when I was old enough to know better, I was looking for a catfish hole one night. Darkest pitch with moon behind thick clouds, 
fog rolling in off the dam, I pulled my little boat close to the island. At first, it was something you could feel more than here, like a far-off train coming across Shuffle Creek Trestle, or a powerful wind, yet the air was still. Like a hundred ancient eyes rising up to look at you and ask why their rest had been disturbed by the waters, and least of all, by you. The moon momentarily peeled back the clouds to reveal the shadows dancing between the trees, gathering ever closer to my john boat, urging me to leave them and never return. I pushed off from the island, and as I floated back, the shadows retreated, and the ghosts sank back into their resting places. Now, when I hear a train come across that trestle, or I hear the wind come around Riddle Point, I think of those restless souls, and I leave them be. Is dead. Got no clock. That June sun is baking the blood. Oh, and it's hot, sticky, and wet. I'll be in my bed again. My woman works from sun to sun. And when she's home, her work, it, it's just begun. Fix my dinner, fetch my drink. Even I know better, ask what she thinks. She say you lazy and you no good for nothing. I say you crazy and I'll change. Then one day, when my 
China's done. Old Saint Peter, he gonna see me come. Stop me at the gate, see you who can't pass. We're nearly all child for y'all. Not even a busted up sofa sleeper for. Not even a rusted out John Deere tractor seat for you. Thanks for tuning in to episode 79 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville, and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe now more than ever the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Jim Lemon, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour, coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.